I can't think of a better way to start a money series with the words of Notorious B.I.G., Mo' Money, Mo' Problems. Now, recently, my nine-year-old son, Asher, and I uh, visited Gatlinburg. Here's a picture to prove it, in case you thought I was lying to you. Why well, go to Gatlinburg? To experience the beautiful fall weather, perhaps. To go hiking in the Smoky Mountains, to catch a show. The main reason, actually, that we traveled to Gatlinburg was to go to this place right here, to visit the Titanic Museum. I cannot explain to you adequately how pumped Asher was to go to the stupid Titanic Museum. (laughs) Like he knows the name of the captain. He knows the name of the first officer. He knows the timeline of what happened. Sometimes he'll say things in reference to when the Titanic was found. He recently found out when I, like the year I was born, he's like, that was a year before the Titanic was discovered. Like what? Who cares, man? Like, they have a little quiz before you go into the museum for little kids. He knew all the answers. He's supposed to, like, search the museum to find the answers. And he's like, can I turn it in now? And they're like, I guess here's your sticker, man. Like, it was an intense experience. And here's an important thing for you to know about me and Asher going to the Titanic Museum. I don't care about the Titanic at all. Like, even a little bit. I mean, I watched the movie one time. But other than that, whatever don't care. Why in the world would we spend time, would we spend money, energy to go travel six plus hours away to just go to this one thing that he wanted to do? Why would we go? Why do I care to do that? Well, I care about the Titanic because Asher cares about the Titanic. Can you relate to that? Is there anything like that in your life? Like you're like, well, I'll watch. I'll watch the football game. I don't really care, but I want to spend time with you. Or I'll go out to eat. I don't like Mexican, but I know you like Mexican, so I'll make that sacrifice. We do this all the time. Like we care about the person, and so we do things or pay attention to things or talk about things that they care about. That's a way to show love. And I believe that God cares about every single aspect of our lives. He cares about our health. He cares about our families. He cares about what we care about. Because he loves us so much. And today we're going to be talking about something that we interact with, we think about, we care about an awful lot. We're going to talk about money. You can hold your applause. Thank you. Now we're starting a series today called Piggy Banks and 401Ks. And from the time we were little kids, we started to interact with this concept of money. We started saving our pennies in a piggy bank. And really from that point, money has been a part of our lives. And growing up, I don't know what your piggy bank was for. I don't know what you were saving towards. I'm a baby doll, a video game, a new bicycle or whatever. But as adults, we have things that are kind of piggy banks. They're called 401ks or IRAs or 43Bs or whatever you have. And they provide other things for us like security or safety or retirement or future. And whether we like it or not, money is something that we deal with every single day. We work for it, we spend it, we save it, we invest it, we give it. And sometimes we feel like no matter what we do, there's just not enough of it. Now there's this idea that we're going to be talking about the entire series as we go through this generosity series called Piggy banks and 401ks. This, this is what it is. This is kind of the, the hook for the entire series. God cares about money because God cares about us. I think that's why it's talked about so much in the Bible. Maybe that's why money is such a big part of our spiritual lives too. God cares about our money, not because he needs it, but because he cares about us. 
He cares about how we spend it, not because he needs us to spend it in a very specific way. He just cares about us. He cares about how we save it. He cares what we do with it because it impacts our lives and it impacts our relationship with him. And if we really believe that God loves us, if we really believe that God cares about us, I think it stands to reason that God would care about something that we think about all the time, like our finances. But we don't really like that we're talking about it sometimes. We don't really want God to kind of enter into that part of our lives. We'd much rather that be over here, and then I work on like other things over here in my relationship with God. And my hope is that this series will help us work and understand why in the world does God care about this at all? How should we respond to God with our finances? And what does it look like to move more to the spirit of generosity? So why does God care about our finances? Because he cares about us. But money's a difficult thing to navigate in our lives, isn't it? And when it comes to Jesus and how he interacts with money and our relationship with money, things get a little real. Sometimes things get a little awkward. And today we're going to talk about a really rich guy who ends up talking to Jesus about money and how that all ends up. We're going to be in Matthew 19. Now, if you have our Ridge app, I want to encourage you, you can follow along in the message notes, go to media, and, and then kind of go to the message notes part of things. Everything we have up on the screen is kind of there in the app. You can take notes. It's a pretty cool part of our app, so check that out. But we're going to start in Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. This is what it says. Someone came to Jesus with this question. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life. So this guy comes up and he asks Jesus like the big question. Like this is not like an easy question. This isn't a softball question. And I want to point out something because it kind of gets lost in translation a little bit. He uses this word teacher and it's kind of disrespectful. It's kind of patronizing to Jesus actually. It doesn't read that way, but it's, this is kind of what it's like. He's like, yo, teach. Hey, good teacher. Hey, you know what's going on. Hey, teach me this. Riddle me this. This guy is being patronizing. He's like, you're a teacher, right? How can I earn my way to heaven? How can I buy my way to heaven? How can I do enough good stuff to get to heaven? Now, there's this common perspective at the time. Everybody who was around Jesus would have thought this same thing. Here it is. If you're wealthy, God has blessed you. That was the concept. If you're wealthy, God has blessed you. Do you ever think along those lines? We kind of do, don't we? Like, we, we compare, we think this way. We're like, hey, look at my neighbor. God must like him. Look at their house. Look at their Christmas decorations. They're already up. My goodness gracious. Look at the car. Look at my coworker. She got the promotion. God must like her better than he likes me because he gave her that. Look at my sister. She gets all the free stuff. Look at my brother. God gave him all the talent. And we compare and we kind of ascribe to the same idea. Look at the person over there. If they're doing okay, if they have money, or if they're successful, especially by culture standards, we go, like, well, I guess God is blessing them, right? Like he can bless them in that way. I guess that's how it works. And the people with Jesus would have thought the exact same thing. So this guy is rich. And he's young. Which means that like he, he is incredibly blessed by God. And he comes up and he asks Jesus and he says, Hey, yo, teach what good deed do I need to do to earn my way into heaven? And check out verse 17. This is what Jesus responds. He goes, why ask me about what is good? He, he knew that the guy was being a little 
patronizing. There's only one who's good. But, to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Jesus is like, why are you asking me, man? He knows exactly where this guy's heart is. And he goes, okay, all right. Hey, good teacher, okay. You obviously don't get it. You're asking me in the wrong way, but I'm Jesus and I'm going to give you grace and I'm still going to answer your question. I love that. And then he says, okay, you want to know? You want to know how to get to heaven? Like, here's the big one. Here it is. Obey God. Keep the commandments. That's it. And this guy responds. Maybe you would respond this way. Maybe you know somebody who would respond this way. Maybe your greatest enemy would respond this way. I don't know what it is. I love how this guy responds because it is just, oh my goodness, gracious, ridiculous. This is what he says. He goes, okay, the commandments, which ones, man? What? He's like, I mean, be, be, like just, I mean, be, be specific. And Jesus is like, oh, okay. I mean, there are 10 of them, but okay, whatever. Like, is a checklist? This cracks me up. Like, okay, if I obey all these things, then I'm good to go. That's the way that the guy is interacting with this. And this is how Jesus responds. Check this out. So Jesus replied, okay, you want to know what's wrong? Here are some. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. That's not all of them, by the way. He doesn't even give them all of them. He just says, just these. What do you think the guy was doing? You think he was like going through the checklist? Okay, I didn't murder anybody, check. I didn't cheat on my wife, check. I didn't steal, check. I don't lie, check. I get along with mom and pops just fine, check. I'm good. And then Jesus lays out this one last one, and I love this, this is so good. He just says, oh, also love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know if these guys like knew each other, probably not. I don't know if this guy has actually kept all the commandments or not. I think he sincerely believed that he had kept all the commandments. But Jesus ends with, okay, love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but can you imagine his entire life, he had always 100% of the time loved his neighbor perfectly. Like that seems like a pretty intense standard. So this is what the guy said. He goes, yeah, I'm good. I've obeyed all of the commandments, all of them, every single one that you just said, including love your neighbor as yourself. What else should I do? And here's my guess, and it's just a guess, that no, this rich guy had not kept all those commandments. I don't know why Jesus chose the ones that he chose. Maybe Jesus chose the ones that he knew the guy had broken. Maybe Jesus chose the commandments about relationships, and he knew that this guy was kind of selfish. I don't know. Here's what I do know. Jesus knows the condition of the guy's heart. No matter what, he knows. And Jesus also teaches in other places like, hey, even if you hate somebody in your heart, that's like murder. And even if you just look at your neighbor's wife, then that's lust and that's adultery. So maybe it's a mixture of those things. But whatever it is, Jesus knows the condition of his heart. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows why the rich guy is asking. He knows whether he's kept the commandments or not. He knows the condition of my heart and your heart in the exact same way. He knows what you want, why you want it, what you'll do to get it. So to this guy 
who Jesus loves and knows better than maybe the rich guy knows himself, this is what Jesus says. He's like, okay, if you've kept all the commandments, wink, 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 okay, bud. One more thing. This is verse 21. He says, Jesus told him, okay, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. He's like, okay, okay. You check those all off. One more, surrender everything. Come follow me. Give everything away, then come and follow me. See, Jesus knew something. He knew the condition of his heart. And here's what I believe. Jesus knew that money was getting in the way for this guy. And I want to be laser clear. Money is amoral. Money's not good or bad. It's neutral. It's not evil to have stuff. It's not evil to make good money. It's not evil. It's not wrong. Nor does it mean that God is blessing you outright. It's not always good either. It's in the middle. And there are a lot of people in the world who don't believe in Jesus at all, who have a lot of money. And there are a lot of people in the world who love Jesus with their entire heart, who don't have very much at all. It's not really about the financial blessing as much. No, the point is, Something was getting in the way. And for this guy, it was his possessions. And this is how we knew that it was getting in the way. We know this for a fact because Jesus already knew and this is what happened. But when the young man heard this, he was sad. He walked away. He had many possessions. He's like, wait, wait, wait. You want to give everything away? That's a lot. He knew, Jesus knew what this guy loved more than him. What do you love? Would you be devastated if there's something in your life that Jesus asked you to give up? Is there anything in your life that you'd go, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, man, come on. And you'd walk away sad. See, when we read a story like this, it's easy to kind of pile on the rich dude. It's easy to go like, what an idiot, man. Like he had Jesus right in front of him and he didn't get it. But I have to tell you, when I read this story, I relate with the rich guy. Because there are things, if Jesus asked for it, I would struggle. And maybe for you, if Jesus asked you to do a different line of work, and you're like, I find my identity in that, like, that's difficult for me. I don't want to have to do that. Or maybe for you, if Jesus asked you to rethink your politics, that's a scary one. You're like, whoa, 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 I mean, hold on, hold on, hold on. I mean, I'm right, so I don't have to rethink my politics. Like, well, I don't have to do that. Maybe for you, it's something like safety or comfort. You're like, don't be coming for that, Jesus. Like, back off, dude. Maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe the relationship isn't going the way you want, or maybe you need to forgive, or maybe you need to reconcile, or I don't know what it is. But... You're like, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to surrender that to you. Maybe for you, if Jesus asked for your family or your marriage or a child, see, we'd be like, we'd struggle. Like, I I don't think that that's okay. I would struggle with almost all of the things that I just mentioned. And maybe for you, if it is money, and if Jesus is like, hey, surrender all your money to me, you'd be like, I I mean, I, I mean, my 401k is doing okay. I don't know. It'd be tough. Well, recently I got a, I got a phone call from my wife, Abby, and she was bawling. And if you know Abby at all, that's not her. She doesn't do that. 
that's me in the relationship. Like I'm the one who like, I see the commercial and the dog like runs to the kid and I'm like, like oh, the puppy. Like that's me. That's not, that's not her. So she calls and she's bawling, which is a huge deal. It's a red alert like for me. And I'm going, okay, what happened? And she said, Hey, I just got off the phone with our bank and there's been significant fraud on our account, you know, purchases we hadn't made. And I, okay, okay. It's okay. Calm down. How much money is gone? And she said these three words still gives me chills. All of it. Excuse me, what? <laughs> All of it? We're in this moment. Like, well, what are we going to do? And good news, we figured it out. The bank helped us out. And other than emotional turmoil, I guess, like we're good to go, no worse for wear. But maybe you know exactly what that moment feels like. Maybe it's fraud. Maybe it's bad decisions by you, bad decisions by somebody else, whatever. But you know what it feels like. You're like, how am I going to make it? How am I going to pay for that? How am I going to invest? How am I going to buy the house? How am I going to pay my bills? I don't know what to do. And when it comes to finances, it impacts every part of our lives. And it can be painful and it can be difficult. But I learned something through that experience with our personal finances. See, we went from being financially A-OK to having no money in a dime. Turned into dime. See what I did there? Turned into dime. It's a money joke. It's okay. You can laugh. What would you do? Does that mean God was mad at us? Was he trying to get our attention? Yeah, I don't know. I think no matter what, God is still God, though. And I have full confidence that God loves us and was working. And at the very least, he gave me a great story to tell up here. I don't know. What's the point? I think Jesus knows what you need. He knows why you need it. And he knows what you love more than him. Just like he did with this rich guy. And for that guy, it was money. And it could be all sorts of different things. You see how this applies to all this different stuff? But God cares specifically about our money because he cares about us. And he knows that it impacts our lives. And then Jesus says this. This is verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. Anytime Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you should pay attention. I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he doubles down. He's like, I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of conversation kind of about this verse. It's like, is he being literal, like camels and needles, like that kind of weird? Is there a gate that's called the needle and the camel had to get down on his knees? I don't really think that that matters quite as much. Here's, here's what I think matters. This verse should terrify us. It should stop us right in our tracks. Not because camels are intense. They are, if you've ever been around one. But Jesus says it is hard for a rich person to enter into heaven. And if you live in the United States of America, it's really likely, by global standards, you rich, baby. But we don't think of ourselves that way, do we? There's a survey done in 2021, done by Charles Schwab. I used to work there as a stockbroker there for a couple of years. And so I kind of pay attention to their stuff sometimes when it comes through my feed. And I was reading and it got my interest. And it said that Americans believe that you have to have a certain amount of money to be considered rich. What do you think the number is? $1.9 million. Anything less than that, you're not rich. Really? Check this out. 
If you live in the USA and you make $32,000 a year, that's the median income in Bartholomew County, by the way, and you're a household of two adults and three kids, which is my family, that means that you're richer than 79.2% of the people in the world. Let's double down. $64,000. Annual income, $64,000. You're richer than 90.5% of the people in the world. And I don't know how much money you make. I don't know your financial situation. That's not the point. And I understand that words are being slung around right now that are scary words like inflation and recession and layoffs and all of those types of things. See, that's not my point either. The point is no matter what situation you're in, we might be better off than we believe that we are. And we need to pay attention to what we put before God. And Jesus says, if you're rich, watch out. And this applies to us. And why is this true? Why do we need to watch out? Why does this matter to us? Why is it difficult for a rich person to go to heaven? Well, this is why. Because we act like money is our savior. Money isn't everything, but it keeps the kids in touch. Have you ever heard that joke? No. See, God cares about our money. Because he cares about us. And we act like money is more important than it actually is. Or that money can do more things for us than it actually can. And that's just not true, but it feels true. That's why we actually have to talk about money. If we're being responsible about spiritual life here at the Ridge, we have to talk about money, even if it makes people uncomfortable. Because we act like money can save us. Like, we even put it on our money. In God we trust. I think sometimes in money we trust We believe money, if we just had a little bit more of it, if we had more access to it, things would be a little bit better. We believe money provides. We believe money gives us security, gives us safety. We believe money is something that we can put our trust into. We believe money can save us from a bad situation, from a bad job, from a bad relationship, from a bad week. I mean, shopping therapy is an example of that. From a bad life. Like if I just had a little bit more, if I just saved a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more security. And when we do have it, we see the good that it does, and we don't want it to go away. See, we believe money is more reliable than God. So Jesus sets us straight. And he says, look, money, really anything, when it's more important than God, gets in the way. And then verse 25, this is what he says, the disciples, his followers, were astounded. He's like, wait then who in the world can be saved? Because remember, all of these people around Jesus thought that if you had money, you were being blessed by God. And they're like, I feel so attacked. And maybe you feel the same way. So when this rich guy comes and he asks Jesus the question that they all want to know the answer to, the assumption is that Jesus is going to say, you're already good with God. So the disciples, they're like, wait, 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 wait. So if a person I thought was favored by God isn't good enough to get into heaven, then I'm up a creek. And Jesus looks at him in verse 26 at intently, and he says, humanly speaking, you're right. It is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And then Peter, I love Peter so much. I love the way that he asks this. I would ask this. It's so good. He goes, hey, uh, hey, Jesus, hey, bro. We've given up everything to follow you. What do we get? That seems like a weird thing to say, right? Like, read the room, Peter. Like, what's going on? 
Jesus is just talking to this rich guy and he said, like, oh, he went away sad. Like, what's going on? Remember the context. Peter had given everything away to follow Jesus. So these other dudes, they'd given it all away. So he's like, hey, uh, what if you actually do what you just said? So Jesus actually answers the question. This is verse 28. This is what he says. Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property or money for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, like this rich guy. And those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. And there's a lot to unpack in those verses, but I think there's really this one clear key principle in what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is, look, if you surrender all that you've got, you get all that God's got. And it's not necessarily transactional. It's just because of God's grace. And Peter's like, what will we get? And Jesus' answer is like, well, all sorts of stuff. But remember, in this life, the most important aren't the most important in heaven. And remember, the greatest in this life won't be the greatest in heaven. It's not as clear cut as who's rich and who ain't. So Jesus tells Peter, okay, this is what you'll get. You get to be with me in heaven. You get acknowledged for the times that you've helped others. All that you've surrendered is going to be returned to you in ways that you can't possibly even comprehend. So he got a lot. But don't rush past this. Money isn't the savior of Peter. And sometimes we read things like, well, you get a hundredfold back, and we think, well, it's like an equation. Think about this. Peter eventually is murdered. So in this life, it doesn't really turn out the way that we would have written the story. But money isn't the savior of Peter. Jesus is the savior of Peter. Money isn't our savior. Jesus is our savior. And Jesus and the cross and heaven are ways that we can see how much God loves us so much in spite of ourselves, in spite of us putting other things in front of him. He loves us. He provides for us. He knows our heart. He knows what commandments we've broken. So how do we do what he's telling this rich man to do? How do we surrender our money to God? Two suggestions for today. Here's the first one. Remember whose money it is in the first place. The perspective shift matters because we think, hey, I earned it. I worked hard for it. It's mine to do with what I please. But when we shift the ownership to the rightful owner, we view money a little differently. This is Psalm 24. It's been this way for a really long time, even even in the Old Testament. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Every single thing you can think of belongs to God. Not just what we want to surrender, not just what is easy to surrender. Our money is not our money. And since everything we have belongs to God in the first place, here's the second way we can surrender our money to God. So yeah, we remember that it's God's first, and then we just ask him, Ask God what he wants you to do with your finances. And that's so simple, and I think it's something we don't do. Maybe we don't do it because we're actually a little afraid of the answer. 
What if he says what he says to this rich guy? I don't want to sell everything and give it to the poor. Like, I don't want to do that. What's the point? See, God cares about money because he cares about us. And money can be used to honor God. Just like everything else. And he knows that it gets in the way of our lives sometimes. So what do you, what do, you do? Why do you have the financial situation that you've been given? There's an answer to that question. Why do you have the financial situation that you've been given to honor God? And I believe that if you do honor God with what you're given, He will show up in ways that you, it will just blow your mind. No matter your financial outlook, no matter if you have a lot or a little, your finances are, that's a weird way to say that, your finances are meant to honor God. So why do you have what you have? Because our answer to that question determines a lot. So I want to give you a chance right now where you're at to maybe ask God. Maybe if you've never done that before, this is your chance to do that. So go ahead and bow your head. And you don't have to say it out loud. but Just right there in your head or in your heart, you can ask God what it looks like to honor him with your finances. So say this prayer just kind of silently after me. God, Everything I have is yours. What do you want me to do with the finances I have? They all belong to you. Show me what you want me to do. Show me how you want me to do it. Help me have a generous heart. Thank you for the way that you provide for me. Thank you for how you've given more than I'll ever need through Jesus and the cross. Amen. And as we surrender all we have, we get all that God's got. Even if we don't surrender all we have, by the way, God shows up in pretty miraculous ways. He loves us. He cares for us. But he knows that if we shift this perspective and remember it's all his anyway, and if we ask God what does he want us to do with our finances, and we honor God, and we draw close to God, then he is going to work, and he is going to show up, and we get to be a part of some amazing things because God cares about us. Now, many of you give faithfully here at The Rich. Thanks for doing that. That's an amazing way to respond to God. Now, the finances that God uses, whether it's through the ridge or or someone else, it can make a huge impact on our community, really, as we join him in what he's already doing. So right now, before we kind of wrap up our time together, we'd like for you to hear about how your generosity impacts a care partnership that impacts people in our community, in Columbus, Indiana. It's called Love Chapel. Love Chapel is a faith-based organization that serves Bartholomew County residents who struggle with food, financial, and housing insecurities. Through the support of local individuals like you throughout this past year, they have consistently helped around a thousand households each month with food assistance. Various programs like Brighter Day Shelter, Mobile Food Pantries, and Hot Meal Sites are helping to meet the needs of struggling families here locally. Currently, over 200 volunteers per month help assist in the management and distribution of food supplies. 
Ridgers have helped meet the needs of Love Chapel in various ways. One way we give is by contributing financially through our missions fund. Some volunteers regularly work to maintain facilities operated by Love Chapel. Through our giving tree during the holidays, we gave supplies to distribute to the homeless. Simply put, Love Chapel makes a difference in the lives of people in our community with the love of Jesus. If you'd like to help, there's always room for more. More donations of fresh groceries and household supplies. More hands on deck helping manage those donations and supplies. And always more love. As together we serve our neighbors in need with dignity and grace.